All right, we're live. All right, cool. Hello. Today, uh, welcome to our first podcast episode, I guess. <laughs> second one because we had the gym, but mm -hmm. students. So uh, we have me, Chase, and oh, me, Neha. Hi, Quentin. And we have special guest, my mom, Dr. Thompson. Hi, Karen Thompson. <laughs> yep. Nice to be here. Thanks for being with us, or being here with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, obviously I feel like the thing on everybody's mind is coronavirus, so I figure we can ask uh, Dr. Thompson some questions about kind of how to deal with the stress and stuff of isolation and everything. So uh, yeah, do you have any, anything you're going to start us off with about but uh, kind of dealing with all the stresses that are on us lately. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, one thing that's really important uh, in our current situation is that kind of life as we know it has changed um, quite a bit. And um, just recognizing that that does have an impact on people. Um, and of course, you know, there are things that we have to do to prevent the spread of coronavirus uh, that are really critical, um, like social distancing. Um, but that, you know, that's not the way that we're used to living our lives. And, um, you know, especially for students who are involved in school and in uh, college and classes and jobs and internships and things like that. Um, so this is a, a really um, almost a complete 180, I think, from the way that most of us are used to living our lives. And so um, it's, it's understandable, I think, that, that there is a lot of um, difficulty adjusting to this sometimes. And um, people may be experiencing an increase in um, anxiety, stress, um, depression, um, and so I just want to recognize that uh, in addition to kind of the physical health impacts of coronavirus, there is also potentially mental health impacts. And, you know, and the majority of people will get through this time just fine and find ways to adjust. Um, but some people will struggle. And I think um, just recognizing that that it is, it is challenging, um, and maybe thinking of some ways to cope uh, could be helpful. Yeah, no, um, thank you for that insight. I think um, something that we're all feeling is like this sudden like change or shift in like the, our like lifestyles as we know it. Um, something that I was wondering about was like the term social distancing. Um, I've been watching like a couple of just interviews on, on the news and stuff and some doctors have mentioned that they don't like the term social distancing because it seems like in a time where there's so much uncertainty, what we need the most is social connections with the people that we love most. Um, so I know that some doctors were using the term physical distancing. Do you think like that is like kind of more appropriate term that we should use or um, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? I really do. That is the more accurate term, right? So there's mm -hmm. about being socially distant that's going to prevent um, this this virus from being passed along it it really is about being physically distant and just mm -hmm. using our physical contact with people 
Um, so I do think that physical distant distancing is is more accurate and um, and we it's important to make that distinction so that we can look for ways to um, stay socially connected and recognize that um, you know we are social beings and we need those social connections and so one um, you know one thing to think about right now I think is how can you stay connected socially, um, interpersonally, with people who are important to you, um, even if you can't be physically connected. So um, thinking about um, it being intentional about making efforts to stay in touch with people who are important to you, um, you know, making an extra phone call, um, sending texts to check in on people, setting up Zoom meetings with your family, um, all of those things, because so many of our normal ways of interacting have been halted. Um, and so this presents an opportunity to think of some, you know, new ways, maybe potentially um, getting creative with how you might connect with people um, and keep mm -hmm. the options now. I think it's more important than ever. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah that's awesome I think we kind of jumped the gun a little bit so can we like rewind and like could you tell us a little bit about your specialty and like what you do um, and then I guess how this like situation has impacted your day-to-day -day and how you interact with patients and things like that yeah sure so I'm a clinical psychologist um, I'm on staff at the Michael E. DeBakey VA Medical Center here in Houston and I also have an appointment at Baylor College of Medicine and I work primarily with veterans who have post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and that is uh, generally characterized by anxiety and stress related to having gone through a traumatic situation. Um, so I work with a lot of combat veterans, but I also work with veterans who've had trauma from other types of experiences. Um, typically, um, anxiety, reliving the trauma, um, hyperarousal, and changes in mood and cognition are characteristic of um, PTSD. And so what I do is um, I'm actually the PTSD clinic director at the VA, and um, uh, I treat patients. Um, I manage the clinical program, and I train um, psychology interns and residents. Um, so I'm doing a bunch of different things um, in my job as a psychologist at the VA. Um, and one thing that's happened in, um, in the last week or so is that we've moved to all of our interactions with, with patients in my clinic are now by telehealth. So, um, you know, therapy is usually someone coming into the office and um, being you know, in the same room um, and helping people kind of talk about their thoughts and their feelings and maybe come to a different perspective or develop, develop coping skills or things like that. Um, but in the last couple of weeks, we've moved um, solely to doing therapy um, over the computer. Um, through a secure connection that the VA uses called a virtual 
virtual medical room is what it's called. And um, so this, is, this has happened in mental health in the VA, and it's also happened in across medical specialties, um, primary care um, and medical specialties as well. Um, and it's, you know, it's an effort to reduce potential exposure um, to, so that people don't have to come into the medical center for care. Um, they can get care um, in their home um, or on their job site or even in their parked vehicle. Um, so it's a, it's a different modality, a different way to deliver um, the services that people need. Okay. That's awesome. Um, something that I also was wondering um, is in terms of like your practice and medical professionals in general, what is it like kind of like helping and helping other patients through this like um, time of like uncertainty, but also living through it yourself? That's a really good question. It's actually something um, I was talking to my colleagues in New Orleans about um, a few days ago because um, 15 years ago, almost, they went through Hurricane Katrina and the staff were impacted by that and the, the patients were impacted by that. And so, um, you know, a lot of times we're helping patients with problems that we don't necessarily have ourselves, right? But in this case, um, in Katrina and right now, we're struggling maybe to figure out how to manage our, our own stress and, and lives at the time and um, help our patients. So I think it's, um, you know, it can be challenging. Uh, we do have to really take care of ourselves. Um, and you've, you know, you've seen a lot in the news about healthcare providers who are on the front line and really, um, in some instances, you know, risking their own health um, to take care of their patients. And, uh, you know, you've heard that if we don't have masks for the first responders, then we're not gonna have first responders. So uh, that applies to mental health as well. If we don't take care of our own mental health, um, then it, it becomes impossible to, to help someone else. So the, the first and foremost thing is self-care for the provider. Um, and that might mean things like, um, you know, taking some time off if I needed that or being sure that um, I'm have, you know, I'm not working, you know, 12 or 15 hour days. I'm taking time off. I'm um, engaging in my own self-care, like getting enough sleep, eating right, exercising. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is really a time when we all need to do to do our best um, with our own health care um, and apply really the things that we tell our patients um, apply to ourselves as well. So I'm really curious about how this kind of ties into like physician burnout um, and that rate and like what that kind of looks like um, for doctors that are in your specialty. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I think um, when there's a lot of stress on the on the provider and um, things feel out of control, so the provider may be um, in a situation where 
they um, maybe they can't make decisions or the decisions that they make are undermined by, you know, maybe the administrative processes or the needs of the insurance company or, or whatnot, then um, those kind of things where the provider feels suddenly that they don't have the control um, to provide the care in the way they want to provide it um, and the, the demands are kind of unrelenting, um, I think can lead to burnout. Um, we, you know, we really work hard in the VA to have administrative processes in place that um, are manageable. And that, that's one of the things that I do for my team, actually, is make sure that things are set up in a way for my providers so that, you know, what I want them to do is provide the best care to patients. Um, part of my job is to figure out how to do that logistically and how to make it work for them so that they can be the best um, mental health providers that they can be. Um, so if you, if you don't have that in place, if the administrative processes are not facilitative, um, if um, you know, the provider is not supported, then, um, then I think there is a risk of, of burnout. Um, when people just, you know, feel overwhelmed and like they don't have the control that they need to. So from like a managerial kind of position, have you seen this happen to you or I guess to the people that you work with? Um, you know, I'm, I feel like I, I have a small team and so I'm, I'm lucky. I feel like I can do things to kind of take care of my team. And that's always been a value of mine as a, as a clinic program director, um, but I've certainly seen it happen in other programs. Um, and you know, so the kind of the bigger um, the organization in some ways, and the the more um, things get um, kind of what we call top down. You know, so where people are told. Um, from above that they have to do things in a certain way and if it if it doesn't make sense for them or their practice then that's going to be um, a time of you know of high risk for burnout so we try to we try to approach things from the perspective of the provider what is your you know getting checking in with them what is their experience what do they need and take a kind of team approach rather than a top-down approach. And I think that that really helps. Awesome. Um, all right, let's see. Do we have any other questions? Um, yeah. You, sorry, go ahead. I, yeah. I guess that, um, uh, okay, so basically uh, you deal with veterans a lot, right? And so I'm really curious to see how your impression or what your impression is of like these really strong, physically strong, you know, like warriors going out into battle, you know, coming home. Um, and it's like, how does that tie in with, I guess, a holistic care model where we are being um, kind of um, preemptive with our care? Is there a way that we can like kind of, you know, mentally train our soldiers before 
they step on to or like you know go abroad and you know on these campaigns and things so that you know they are proactively coping and dealing with um you know this i guess trauma that they're going through um and how does that relate to um i guess like ptsd because you know you're truly dealing with something after the fact that you know it's happened um just like i guess how and what does that look like for your practice um well i think you're you're talking about kind of the concept of resilience right and how do we so we know that people who are in the military and maybe have to go into um into a combat situation um need to be resilient they need to be able to manage that stress and um you know bounce back and keep going even though the the demands are really really tough um and uh, i will say that the um the, the military the department of defense has done a tremendous amount in the last 10 to 15 years with the current current wars in iraq and afghanistan to really help bolster resilience um they're you know they have um one of the things that was done in in the more recent wars is have mental health professionals on site out kind of in the in the battlefield um so that and recognize the impact of of stress and that sometimes people who are fighting in combat need a break and need some r and r and making you know making that okay um so it's it's different um, from the traditional military culture, which is very um, sort of, um, you know, pain is weakness leaving your body or there's, you know, um, we can sleep later and things like that. Like we don't need to sleep, we're Marines. Um, and that's, that's really changed. Uh, and I, I have to um, really recognize the efforts that the Department of Defense has taken to really bolster people's resilience and recognize um, that mental health is just as important as physical health. It's, um, it's all, you know, the, the head is connected to the body. It's all one and the same. Um, and, uh, you know, and they're, they're doing things like integrating um, what we call whole health at the VA. So um, helping people to do things that are gonna um, good health and promote wellness, um, like, um, you know, engaging in activities that they value, that they enjoy or that are meaningful to them. Recognizing the benefit of things like um, yoga, meditation, um, and all of that is is really been integrated in, at the VA as well as in the um, Department of Defense and military. So I think we've come a long, long way with that. Um, not that there's not more progress that we could make, but that's a really uh, important thing to think about is resilience and how can how can people even now going through what we're going through here with with this virus be resilient? How can we bounce back? Um, and and that you know that is that's what we want to do right we want to get through this hard time and we want to we want to bounce back we don't want to be overwhelmed by it i have one question about um like telehealth in general mm -hmm. so 
obviously this has been kind of experimented with in the past, but I feel like this whole situation has basically forced the entire country to do a big like test run of what like large scale telehealth for a lot of patients would look like. Like so far, obviously it's a work in progress right now, but so far, do you see, like, how do you see telehealth working out? Do you think that there's, there's promise with it that it could be used more in the future, even, even beyond our current situation? Or do you think there's severe limitations with it or kind of what is your impression? Um, I think for what I do, which is, which is the therapy piece, um, there's tremendous promise. Um, one of the huge benefits of telehealth is that people who live in outlying or rural areas um, don't have access to the same health care that you know those of us who live in large cities do. And so one thing, one reason that this is so helpful is it brings um, specialty care to people who live in rural and outlying areas. And that was really one of the big um, pushes within the VA to promote telehealth is because we wanted to reach all veterans. We wanted to have the same standard of care for veterans who lived in uh, rural areas as veterans who lived in cities. And really the best way to do that was with telehealth. Um, I know that, uh, it, so the VA was really a leader in telehealth. We've been doing telehealth in the VA for probably 10 years or, or more. Um, and it is done across all the specialties, so not just mental health, but like I said, primary care. Um, many of the medical specialties um, have been routinely using telehealth for, for years now, probably about a decade. And I think it's, um, um, it's fantastic. I mean, there's obviously certain procedures and things that you can't do unless you're in person, but there's a lot that can be done by telehealth. And it's, it's very helpful to the patient because um, you don't have to take time off of work to go to your appointment. You don't have to drive. You don't have to, you know, spend your gas money. Um, you just log into your computer and uh, talk to your doctor, and it's fantastic. Um, so I think we'll we'll be seeing more and more, and I think it's a very viable modality for many providers. Um, well, we don't want to take too much of your time, but I was just wondering if you could tell us maybe some resources that um, some college students may be able to use um, if they are um, feeling um, a little bit of anxiety or um, just anything that you think might help them. Yeah, there's some great apps. Um, there's some apps that I recommend um, on, on a regular basis. And some of these are apps that were developed by the VA and the Department of Defense. Um, others are, are not, but they're all free. Um, one of them is called Breathe to Relax, the number two. Um, and that is a, a really wonderful um, app that gives you different breathing exercises. Breathing really affects the way that we feel. And so if we just make small, cha small changes to our breathing, it's a very um, effective tool for managing stress and anxiety. So um, I do um, a lot of work with breathing and with my patients. And so that's a really um, fantastic app. There's another one called um, 
Palm, which I, I'm sure that you've seen that. Um, yeah. They advertise quite a bit. Um, and um, Is Calm developed by the VA as well? I don't think that one was. I, I don't mm -hmm. think so. Um, there's another one called Virtual Hope Box, which is really cool. Um, it lets you put, give yourself some reminders of the good things in your life. And so maybe, you know, putting some photos in and also giving you some relaxation exercises to do, helping you kind of manage your stress with different tools and techniques. So there's just, um, um, I don't have the website in front of me, but um, the Department of Veterans Affairs Office of Connected Care um, it has a, there's a website that lists these um, free apps that are free to anyone that are just um, really want tremendous resources. Um, so I think things like, you know, keeping your routine. Um, so if you, you know, before this happened, you were getting up every morning and working out, you know, keep, do, keep doing that. Um, if before COVID-19, you were, you know, taking a bath every night before you go to bed, keep that up. So taking care of just your basic needs, um, staying in a routine, um, staying connected to people who are important to you, maintaining those social connections. Exercise is a real effective um, antidepressant. Um, gratitude journal is another really neat thing to try. Just, you know, take a few minutes at the end of every day to write down three things that you are grateful for in that day. You know, do that for a couple of weeks. And that's also, there's like research evidence to show that that boosts people's mood. Um, so those are some things that, you know, that might be helpful and in kind of at this time and, and just in general. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's great. All right, cool. Uh, well, if y'all don't have any more questions, uh, thanks, Mom. Yeah. For... That's my thank pleasure. Thank you so much for, taking for having me. Yeah, <laughs> of course. All right. Cool. So, yeah, that was. Right. Um, yeah, you've got a lot more stuff to talk about. Um, we could social distancing. That's important. Yeah, um, I was I was wondering if y'all wanted to talk about the Spanish flu a little bit. I didn't really know much about it before I read these articles. Sure. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I think part of the reason I kind of brought it up was um, it's really interesting to look at uh, the lessons we learned from Spanish flu about how that affects mm -hmm. how that affects our thinking about social distancing and. Yeah. Yeah, also the origins of it are cool. So, um, mm -hmm. so yeah, if you look, there's a really interesting, and all the, all the apps and links that we're talking about, we can, I'll put that in the description. So all yeah. this, all the apps, uh, my mom just mentioned, y'all can find that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's pretty interesting. And in, um, in the U.S., there was actually a pretty big, um, basically, test of how effective social distancing is between Philadelphia and St. Louis. And mm -hmm that it's actually pretty effective. Um, in Philadelphia, there's this Smithsonian article that talks about how they had a giant World War I parade and basically a bunch of people died. But in St. Louis, they enacted social distancing and there were way less deaths. And there's a really good, um, there's a really good 
graphic of that um, in one of the articles that we linked. And it just shows, it shows how many more deaths there were in Philadelphia than there were in St. Louis. Um, so yeah. I think the, the peak of Philadelphia was 250 deaths per 100,000 people. And the peak of St. Louis was just 50 deaths per 100,000 people. So that's a huge difference. Yeah. So, the thing about the curve that's like potentially really interesting is that like while the peak is lower, it is for a longer time, right? So yeah. like technically the, like the area under the graphs should still be almost similar. Well, that's true, but then um, that's where the whole medical capacity line kind of comes mm -hmm. into. That's true. The the overall amount of people who get sick the area under the graph are probably pretty similar, but if we can kind of keep hospitals from getting totally overwhelmed, that's the important part. And it's true, still a ton of people are going to get sick, but it difference whether that happens in a year or in a month. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, that is. But yeah, but I guess like in the case of this graph, right? Um, we can probably put it up or something, but like it's it's just tough to look at, I guess, because like these are the number of deaths, right? So I guess like the healthcare looked a lot different back then, um, mm -hmm. 1918. Um, like, I guess it's, it's hard, like the, assuming like people, these people still had access to healthcare and stuff, it should look like the death rate would be lower, right? But I mean, it is to an extent, uh, maybe it is significant. I, I don't know. I can't crunch numbers on that one. It's definitely really interesting to think about because e even though their like the incidence rate seems to be lower, like the the duration of the, the amount of time that they had to deal with it and deal with um, the disease seems to be a lot longer for St. Louis. But that also could be the fact that it started a little bit later. Um, yeah, that is true. Yeah. St. Louis was basically trying to learn from the failure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that, it's definitely part of it. But um, yeah. I think the point is that, you know, trying to flatten the curve definitely works. But to Quentin's point, mm -hmm. something to be said for the fact that, you know, it might kind of prolong uh, the time in which people are getting sick. That's true. Yeah. It's kind of a trade off that we have to make as a society in order to. Not mm -hmm. overwhelm so like, the healthcare. Uh, but extending that extending that time frame could also like get, give more time for like potential like vaccines or medications to come up as well. So yeah, that's true. I guess like bringing this into the context of like coronavirus, though, like I'm playing devil's advocate here, but doesn't it seem like a worse strategy as people that are you know, like really like financially impacted by this, doesn't this make this a lot worse for them in the long run where, you know, they like imagine telling someone, hey, you know, we could all get this and then be done with it in, in three months or we could have it extend out to nine months and you'll be job without a job for three months versus nine months. What would you prefer? Yeah, that's true. Well, that's a big debate that's going on right now kind of between especially political pundits, but just in general, um, you know, how long do we keep everybody away from work and stuff? Mm -hmm. The fact is that that is a trade-off that people, you know, need to think about. 
um, and that public officials will be debating. Um, but yeah, it's certainly true, you know, that um, that has to be taken into consideration, right? How long do you keep people away from um, versus how long do you keep people at home? Because, you know, one of those staying at home, the benefit is that it obviously helps stop the spread, but the drawback is that, well, you're not at work, right? So that is certainly something that's going to be hashed out in the next few weeks. Um, but I agree, it's something that, you know, the economics of it have to be considered for sure. Yeah, and kind of going off of that, um, just with like students who are from lower income communities, like this is probably going to be hitting them really bad. I mean, the U.S. has one of the lowest, like, or highest child poverty rates in um, like the developed countries. And so, and that has to do with like our socioeconomic gap and everything. But the fact that these kids are potentially going to have to do some version of homeschooling and aren't going to receive like the quality education that um, I guess like kids who aren't a part of like that lower um, socioeconomic bracket are going to face is also something to think about. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, and I think they talk about like readiness gap. So like kids coming into school, like depending on, I guess like what, again, like income bracket they're in have a very different like readiness level for school. Um, a lot of like kids who are in middle and upper middle class families and upper class families have kind of like an introduction to school via like whatever, like Kumon or um, just from their parents being able to teach them. But um, that gap is definitely going to be something that I think with, within the next few months and then having kids being away from school is probably going to affect them the most in the long run. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, plus you have to think about even the college students who yeah. might not have a place necessarily stable to go. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a good NPR piece that kind of talks about how the college shutdowns are affecting certain students, um, you know, they might not necessarily have anywhere to go home to, and that's that's pretty tough. Um, and, you know, UT offers emergency housing, but it's still, you know, that's gotta be a very stressful situation for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even like food insecurity between, um, it for college students as well, because a lot of them have like a meal plan and they relied on like their colleges to provide them food and, that's been taken away from for many of them. I know um, Berkeley, UC Berkeley is doing like um, kind of like a food bank kind of thing for a bunch of their students that have been affected um, by like the dorms being closed. Um, So I think that that's something that's been going on. Um, Yeah. Do you think it'd be useful for us to talk about like our experience throughout all of this? Because I think we're talking a lot about like hypotheticals and like situations where like students are being just like utterly and completely shafted. But like for us, I think like we're not in that category as I as the majority of students, you know, are not as well. Um, yeah, I think it'd be a good opportunity to just, you know, Lighten the mood and then as well as like just update people on how we're doing. Yeah. How are you doing, Quentin? Dude. <laughs> I'm okay. Um, honestly, um, all this Corona stuff has not really impacted, I guess, like my 
personal life, I guess. Um, I am still in uh, Austin, as some of you might know, um, but the reason is because uh, my grandma actually lives at home uh, at my house in, in Round Rock. And uh, like, I'm kind of early on made the decision that like, I wasn't gonna go home because like, the off chance that like, you know, it was on like my backpack or like, you know, something random and like my grandma somehow caught it, like that would be really bad. And she's like 92 for context. Um, and I was just like, yeah, you know, even though being here is, is kind of weird with no one around and there's not you know, a lot to do, um, it's, it's still better than being there around my grandma, I think, um, just with all this stuff going on. But yeah, it, I love her to death and it sucks that I can't be there with her and like hang out with her. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, campus is nice. Um, to be honest, like it's been a lot of fun. Like I think one thing that I've been doing differently than everyone else is like they're taking like this whole social distancing thing in terms of like, I guess like not going outside at all. Um, and for me, it's like, I think I've, I think it's as long as you don't like, you're not interacting with people and you're not like, you know, like having lots of people in really confined spaces and interacting with people that you don't normally interact with. Cause like there's still four people you know, that are, that are still at the house, uh, at my house. Um, and like, you know, spending time, like it's kind of unavoidable that we're going to be using the kitchen or like, you know, using the same dishes after we wash them and things like that. Um, so I, I have been spending a lot of time with them. Um, granted, um, and yeah, doing a lot of, a lot of, not a lot, but some outside activities. Like I have, I've picked up running actually. Yes, let's go. <laughs> trying to run every day. And dude, it is awful. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Especially in Austin, it's so hilly. Um, and yeah. like, I'm, I'm literally just a bad runner because I can't pace well. Uh, and like, I'll start off my run at like, you know, a super fast pace, like literally a sprint. And then by the end, I'm like just dying. So I'm not going very fast. Um, yeah, it's, it's so tough. Definitely learning a lot about, um, I guess like running, how to do it right and stuff like that. That's something yeah, I was going to get better at. It's kind of hanging out, relaxing. MCAT got canceled. Rescheduled. <laughs> I think, like to be honest, I think that one's gonna get canceled too. Like, there's no like if you look at where on the curve we were when it got canceled. But now is probably like one and a half weeks ago. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know remember the exact date, but it was like one and a half weeks ago. But at that point, we were barely on the curve, like like literally like just barely creeping up, and yeah. like you know with the curve extending and like you know things things will have to peak and then flatten and then start going down for like you know amc to be like oh you know this is safe now um, <laughs> so yeah it's pretty much i'm just hanging out now not really doing much yeah how are you doing chase i'm all right i'm same way you know i think it's like you can definitely go outside and i mean honestly in my neighborhood back here in houston this is definitely the most people I've ever seen walking around our neighborhood. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, kind of like we were talking about, social distancing doesn't have to mean just staying holed up in your house all day. I think it's pretty, I think it's really good for you to 
no like i think i think honestly like after the after saying that like like i have heard things about like um the trails in austin being just like packed yeah yeah and like, like that's <laughs> okay that's that's not social distancing <laughs> the, the going outside i'm talking about is literally going outside when no one is near you like oh yeah like, no I, right. I, I i feel that but yeah still running is good you know um it's funny i was talking with my dad about this and i was saying in a couple years we're probably gonna look back at this time and be like wow we were to just like sit at home in our underwear all day and <laughs> you really don't appreciate it you know i mean okay not to make light of a serious time but you know, yeah. in a way, it's yeah. pretty, pretty We're unique. We're literally living history, like. Yeah, no, it's a unique circumstance for sure, so. I saw. Um, I, I was reading an article the other day that called, like, someone's, someone's kid who was born, like, in the past week, that's, like, Generation C. <laughs> it's, like, the new generation. Not Z, but C. C. <laughs> Gen C, Gen Corona. Yes. I, I, saw, I saw an article about how, uh, <laughs> sales for shirts online were increasing but sales for pants weren't so it's like <laughs> people just doing their video conferences so that's funny. <laughs> yeah oh man looking forward to all those pantsless zooms all the memes zooming. yeah oh and this is also hilarious i mean obviously uh the stock market is taking a dump unfortunately but there's been certain certain companies that have been doing pretty well uh, one Zoom of the, technologies. <laughs> one of them being Zoom, right? But um, there's one. There's one that has Z O M, but Zooms is actually Z M, right? Right, right. Yeah. yeah. There's, this, there's, <laughs> there's this company. There's this company whose ticker, um, which for those of y'all don't know, it's just a little abbreviated kind of um, shorthand name for a company. So this this t- tiny holding company in Beijing is called Zoom. So people would see their ticker and its stock surged literally 700 percent since mid and it's not it's not this it's not video zoom it's a different company <laughs> i just thought that was really funny so guys if you're gonna invest know what you're <laughs> do your research <laughs> yeah not all of us can be congress people who do insider trading so you know mm-hmm. uh gotta be smart um yeah, I thought yeah. but um yes sorry to all y'all who have robin hood accounts that was rough as well what happened to that? Um, on Leap Day, basically, they hadn't programmed the app to be able to handle the fact that there was a Leap Day. <laughs> People couldn't access, it was really bad. People couldn't access their um, their portfolios at all. And people lost literally tens of thousands of dollars. Like it was, what? Yeah, because that was one of the days, um, you know, that the, the market really dropped. So, anyway. Yikes. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. I mean, funny, funny, funny. Okay, okay, it's serious, but you know, it just goes to show sometimes just a small little error really messes stuff up. So, yeah. All right, how long have we been going on for? I don't know. It's Here. been like 40 minutes, you think? Yeah. Okay, I'll do my update. <laughs> Okay. okay um i've been doing well um my mcat like quintons also got canceled we were taking it on the same day so it kind of just like completely like changed my like spring break plans from like completely packed to like nothing on my schedule which i should have been studying but at that point there was just like no motivation to do so yeah um 
But yeah, um, my situation is actually completely opposite from Quentin's. My grandmother's also home. And so I kind of had to make the decision of like whether to come back or stay on campus. Um, but I decided to come back and now I have to go back for work next week. And so it's just kind of difficult because I'm like, I don't know whether I want to come back with the risk of like bringing something in my house or if I should stay there, but then my roommates are going to be there. So I don't want to go back to my apartment with the risk of bringing something there. So I don't know, just a lot to think about. Um, I live on the streets or what? Basically, that's like my only option now. <laughs> um, hopefully like the sunlight will like kill the virus off of me if there aren't, there is any. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. I've been also trying to run, but I have like allergies. So it's been like really difficult. I've like popped like two Zyrtec every time I run. Not two, <laughs> one, only one. Um, I just pop a Zyrtec every time I run, but I still like break on highs and it's just it's a mess. So I've been trying to do like in-home workouts. Um, I've been doing like a lot of like HIIT workouts. Have you guys yeah shout out athlean x they've got great home workouts on youtube oh, yes no. um i've been doing like pilates too so like blogilates she's amazing okay. yeah. um, there's, there's, One, there's two, three. Oh my God. <laughs> we'll definitely we'll definitely link some good workout channels yeah we could do like an ad like group zoom workout zoom dude workout. what <laughs> wait someone has to lead it we should have like you know, we should do it. What? <laughs> then we call it would be amazing. Or like Zumba, like a Zumba. Zoom- oh training. my god! Oh god! Damn it. Or like group yoga, group meditation. Oh Listen. my god! The possibilities are endless. They really are. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's what I've been up to. Cool. All right. We've been rambling for a while, so. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Probably call it. Anybody who listened this long, thank you. We appreciate it. Thank you for. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna get better. <laughs> <laughs> Holy! All right. Peace. Okay. Out.